Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. I'm Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello, crewmates. And Paul. Hello, Spotlighters. And we are here for another episode of our on-screen thread, where we look at a Star Trek alumni's other TV work, whether that be a guest appearance in another iconic TV series, or perhaps another show that they starred in, which is what we're focusing on today, because uh, years after he was the captain of the Enterprise, William Shatner was the lead in another long-running TV series in the 1980s, TJ Hooker, uh, the cop show which ran for five seasons and 91 episodes created by Ricky Husty, which William starred in as the uh, titular TJ, uh, who was an ex-detective sergeant who went back to being a beat cop after his partner had been killed and he goes to train in the police academy and as usual we're going to be focusing on a specific episode although we will kind of talk about the series in general uh we're going to be talking about season two episode 16 vengeance is mine the reason we're going to be talking about that specific episode is because it guest stars leonard nimoy Spock himself. So we are doubling up today. We've got William Shatner as TJ, and we've got a guest appearance by Leonard Nimoy as well. Uh, so we thought that would be a perfect episode to focus on when covering TJ Hooker, a show which I have only ever seen one episode of, the episode we're covering today, as we will <laughs> get into. Saturday, they're together again. It's a go. But on different sides of the law. Don't make me take you down. William Shatner versus Leonard Nimoy on TJ Hooker. So, before we talk about this episode in detail, Matt, what is your history with TJ Hooker? Have you ever seen anything before this? Were you aware of the show? So, yeah, I think I was semi-aware of this show, but I always assumed it was a 90s show because the 80s always felt too soon felt the old chats to be the lead of another TV show. I don't know why. Uh, maybe because I had never seen any footage of it. Because had I seen a single scene, I would have realized this is the most 80s TV show <laughs> maybe ever was. So no, I'd never seen it. I had no idea how long it ran. And it's kind of fascinating to look at this as a puzzle piece in the Shatner leading a TV show eras of the 60s with Star Trek, the 80s with this, and then the noughties, the 2000s with Boston Legal, and uh, how the TV landscape changes for each one, and how and how he adapts as well, and how how he changes. But no, so I haven't heard much of this, and uh, obviously picking this one today with a Nimoy guest spot is the great kind of in point here. And uh, it's, as we'll get into, it's pretty much, you know, what you might expect in some ways for kind of network TV of this era of a very sort of story of the week episode. But I think it does some very interesting things that I wasn't quite expecting it to go quite as hard on as well. Nice. So, Paul, what, what's your history with uh, Mr. Hooker? I think the first time I came across this was in a Tarantino scripted film where Michael Rappaport is attending an audition for an acting job, which is like, they don't actually name TJ Hooker, but it's clearly TJ Hooker he's reading for, where he plays the part of one or two villains who are driving a car, getting away from somewhere, but William Shatner jumps on the bonnet. I was like, what's Shatner doing jumping on hoods of cars? And I, then I think I looked into it and it's like, oh, he did a show called TJ Hooker. That film was True Romance, just in case everybody missed the Rifle Rapper 4 connection there. But yeah, I had never seen a full episode before Vengeance is Mine, which is the episode we're doing today. Yeah, it's an interesting one because this debuts the same year as Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, 1982. And, you know, Wrath of Khan release date was June 4th, 1982. And TJ Hooker first debuted on March 13th, 1982. So it's actually three months prior to the release of that film. So it's kind of weird because it's almost like, if you think about it, the motion picture, it made money, obviously, but in terms of wasn't as profitable as some of the later films would be because the budget was so high. And obviously, we know as much as we may disagree the reception to it at the time wasn't wasn't great and they kind of reconfigured things for Roth of Khan and went a different direction it's certainly lower budget um, although they definitely made sure that money spread wide but it's almost like I wonder if Shatner would have done this series a year later 
Like in terms of if Rafa Khan had been out, been this massive success that it was, would Shatner have taken mm. this lead in this series, or would he have gone at that point? Oh no, I'm a successful movie actor now. I don't need this. It's hard to say that like, you know, still the lead in a show like he's not had that kind of steady income for for many years. That's it. Like, yeah. There's been you know failed attempts at coming back at the TV in the seventies. And you know you've got to appreciate like the guys with legs. I mean, it might be successful, something to or not. But like he knows Spock's going to be dead. It's pretty much an ending, isn't it? You know, mm. they carry on without him. So it's like I'm going to need a steady payday after the Star Trek. If it doesn't go, if if it's a hit, it might still not be a Star Trek without Spock. Yeah, mm. I mean, in some ways, you think about it, it might have even been partially designed that way because they wouldn't have known at that point. I mean, really, Roth of Khan's success is what kicks everything off in terms of making that into a long-running film series. And although they drop hints and threads of kind of, you know, Spock still being alive at the end of that film, there were definitely were plans for kind of further movies. Obviously, if it had flopped the big one at the box office they wouldn't have continued um, in the same way or at least more unlikely. So you could kind of see like at that time, maybe Roth Khan did feel like mm. a, an ending and he wanted something in the background which he could have to kind of fall back <laughs> on, which was, of course, TJ Hooker. Well, it is mad to see this episode and to see you know Nimoy here as well and to think, which is why when you first said we're doing this episode, I assumed, oh, it's a 90s thing, it's way past you know their Trek days. But this is, as, as we say, right in the middle of it. And it's weird to think that they've got, you know, Khan in their past at this point search for Spock just about to be upon them and and voyage home before this series is done so this must have been Shatner going I'm back baby I'm like you know lead on my own primetime long-running show plus back at the movies as well like I wonder if the early to mid 80s was Shatner's like yeah I'm uh I'm unstoppable now well it's yeah. a sweet story about like you know when Nimoy got the gig to direct Strategic 3 like Shatner offered him a chance to get some director experience on TJ Hooker. So I think the episode two before this was a chance for him to kind of be on set, get that experience of his belt and kind of be less nervous, I suppose, on the shoot itself, you know, dancing a big production for Paramount. Like, uh, so that was him doing his friend a real solid. Yeah, exactly. It was literally two episodes prior to this one, an episode called The Decoy, which, as you say, he did essentially do as the kind of preparation for directing Star Trek Three, and then you know, actually starred in this episode. Uh, I, love, I love how it just kind of kicks off with them in the car together as well. And it's just like, yeah, you don't need any backstory. He's been here all along. Everyone loves Spock in this. I think they, they lean into like that. You know, you look, they've had a friendship on Star Trek, so they kind of like put in, you know, the fact that they're so at ease with each other, like just we can draw in the fact they've been friends before. Like, we'll just accept that. There's not any problem having to kind of like get past the fact that I that could have been his mentor before as a sergeant. Like he's just gonna just hit the ground running straight into a shootout, pretty much as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight into a really good car chase. So there's a couple of good chases in this episode. Um, yeah, I think they say that Nimoy is kind of yet another old partner of Hooker's, not the one who got killed <laughs> that motivates him in the pilot, but. Nimoy really convinces straight away, I think, as like a grounded detective, literally nothing like Spock. Mm -hmm. You don't feel any echoes of Spock here at all. They must have Um, really been enjoying playing off each other in this setting where, yeah, you're right, Nimoy isn't playing an emotionless Vulcan. He's, uh, as the episode goes on, increasingly filled with rage and and the titular vengeance. And I think they get to have some really powerful like, acting moments against each other. But uh, yeah, straight off. Well, that's yeah. it frees them out. Like, you know, it's like, you're going to be doing all the feeling this time. And I'm going to be this passionate one. So it's a nice switcheroo. On the thing. We'll just like, stare um... and sweat at each other. It's fine. This episode debuted on the 5th of February, 1983. Uh, so between Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3. And was the 16th episode of the second season. Now, I actually looked up when this broadcast first in the UK. Uh, just <laughs> the age-old always... question, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm always intrigued. Two years later. How long? Well, just over a year. Okay. So this broadcast in the UK for the first time, the 10th of March, 1984, on ITV, on uh, a Saturday night. So this was Saturday oh. night, prime time, 8pm. And as usual, when we talk about a Pacific episode of TV, I've had a look at what else was on. On what we See, what you choices. would have watched this night, people. Well, yeah, so what were your choices? other choices on other channels? And I'll ask you the question whether you would have chosen TJ Hooker or one of the other choices on offer. So on ITV, 8pm, we've got TJ. On BBC One, we've got a film. 
This is Skin Game, which is a 1970s like black exploitation movie starring James Garner and Louis Gossett Jr., which is actually on my letterbox watch list. Uh, which is about two con men, one black, one white, who what they do is they go around and they sell Louis Gossett Jr. as a slave. And then James Garner kind of rescues him each time. And so they get away with the money and then sells him again. Uh, so it'd be definitely a film that wouldn't be made today. But or quite... shown on BBC One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But quite kind of like daring for the time and interesting film. It's, it's on my watch list. I do where, want to check where, it out. Where are you finding these uh, exact listings of the time again? They're, they are they are archived on, okay. online. You can find the scheduling archives. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's very, very intriguing to see see what's on there. So there's, there's that. You've got that on BBC One. On BBC Two... We've got a classical concert, which is a concert of Mahler music, one of his symphonies. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's your choice on BC2. And on Channel 4, you've got 2020 Vision, which is a current affairs show from a group of female journalists, and a I documentary on a French painter. Ooh. So... <laughs> Yeah. Channel 4 would have been brand new at this point, right? Like Christmas 82 yeah. for the snowman. Yeah, they're, started, they're covered believe, in right? hot with the yeah. current affairs shows. <laughs> I I think right like documentaries. So out of those, Matt, what do you think you're going for there? Yeah, no, Hook has taken this. I mean, especially if I've been watching it up till now at the time in yeah. this hypothetical yeah. life I'm living in 1983. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you've got to imagine, like, this is the Shatner Leeway show. Like, you're going to be, like, doing it for that. Like, Skin Game, I put the, the VCR and the Betamax on. for. Uh, we, we get both. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, Let I think I... Slide. It's, it's yeah. my Mary, Mary Snog Avoid, isn't it? Like, it's, I'm Harry T.J. Hooker. Snog, like, Watch your Avoid, record for later. Yeah. And avoid the current affairs, maybe Marla. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... I'd go with uh, TJ Hooker as well, or maybe <laughs> TJ Booker as uh, <laughs> TJ bemoans in the pre-title sequence that uh, he keeps getting a case of mistaken identity with another man called TJ Booker who <laughs> results in all kinds of hijinks for him and randomly his young partner seems to be working part-time for the bank keeps trying to sell him well, no, like he's trying to crack onto a lady isn't he at the bank yeah like, yeah 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 keeps trying to like basically get he's like he feels like he's starting a pyramid scheme and <laughs> yeah. uh, trying get tj to sign up for this particular bank tj is an easy mark by the looks of like the way he's got his life not in order at all yeah i mean he's got alimony payments all kinds of things (laughs) this is such a specific example of the sort of thing that you know a simpsons or a family guy or whatever would spoof where it's a show of this era with just a really wacky zany b plot like the a plot is like this serious like rape case and (laughs) the b plot is just like tj needs to get a new bank account or some shit and gets his car towed and all that sort of stuff and it's just like peppered in throughout to fill up the time and to use Adrian's med as uh, Officer Vincent Romano uh, in some way, because the main plot, it's the uh, Kirk and Spock show again. So not much room for him. Yeah, I mean, this was Boston legal vibes, wasn't yeah. it? In terms of the tone, like it was going from the courtroom with the brutally murdered couple <laughs> to Shatner's hijinks in the office. And like, whereas this is just like, like you say, the main storyline is like darkest thing ever. And then, I mean, <laughs> You know, the episode, we'll get into it later, but the way the episode ends is quite a <laughs> flip in tone from what's been going on previously. Um, so, yeah, this episode is written by Alison Hawk. So it is actually written by a female writer, which I think was a good choice, um, considering the subject matter, which involves uh, essentially Leonard Nimoy's character's daughter, being raped at knife point in a parking garage and then essentially the rapist himself is a lawyer so uses kind of every trick of the book to kind of get out of it and then Nimoy takes the law into his own hands through frustration Mm. and then it's kind of the puts him in a clash with Shatner's TJ as a result and yeah I, I think you can feel that it's kind of written more from a kind of female writer's perspective in regards to even though it's not a survivor's story, this is, this is very much focused on Nimoy and Shatner. Mm. 
She's nearly so. just being fridged in a way. It's like it happens to her to motivate the Nimoy yeah, storyline for sure. Exactly. The, the victim in this case, she does get some scenes mm-hmm. afterwards, but it's not like it's concentrating on her at all. It's much more about Nimoy and Shatner. But I do think it is reasonably sensitively handled. And certainly, you know, there's never any kind of question yeah, about yeah. her being at fault in any way in regards to what's happening happening yeah well what i thought was qu- kind of you know quite quite modern about it was uh you know there's there's no victim blaming there's no questioning no. of what happened and there's none of this and Nimoy's just there like and he's saying by a bedside you know oh, i'm not not blaming you not saying you could have done anything else and stuff you know it's just matter of fact and i gotta say like i think well maybe i gave this episode too much credit to begin with because um first time you see the daughter she's like teaching this aerobics class and like you know creepo guy just ask her out and she says no and then it's immediate cut to the car park uh, assault scene and i thought right well no way that guy's the rapist that's that's the red hair i, it's I too thought obvious. that as well I and it was, it was just like nah, it's double bluff that's <laughs> him it's him well you could tell he's a creepo straight away yeah. can't you because he, he asked I was like, he's gonna get the blame for this it's gonna be someone else taking advantage of the timing but nah <laughs> yeah 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 and i mean you know that uh aerobic scene is like something out of perfect with john travolta and jamie Lee curtis isn't it yeah there's a very kind of like soft horny kind of like vibe to the music as the name of Rich Husky comes up on the screen. I was like, it'd be mistaken for the wrong kind of viewing. Um, <laughs> the yeah. opening title sequence, I've got to say, this theme tune is banging. Uh, it's just proper, like, pops well. are cool. And they'll do rolls over car bonnets and shoot things. And uh, Well, there's some amazing yeah. stunts in there. Yeah. yeah. A helicopter jump from a, you know, into a speedboat. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that looks amazing. And to be fair, there's some decent stunts in this episode. There's some really, really good chases. Like you get the car chase at the start, which is is pure Starsky and Hutch, especially mm-hmm. with like crashing through obstacles and stuff. And Shatner actually does a roll over the <laughs> body. And that then... car they're chasing does go through a wall as well, not just cardboard yeah. boxes, you know. It's... And then there's... I mean the wall might be made of cardboard and painted, but still. <laughs> and then there's the genuinely good foot chase in the yeah. middle where hooker chases after the rapist and there's one particular shot oh i know exactly what you mean yeah 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 yeah. where it's going it's tracking along yeah and the rapist is running on the street and tj hooker is running along the roof and then he leaps off and crashes into him and in like a really good he does stunt. a full like wolverine berserker leap like <laughs> that looks amazing like there's some really good stunt work and shots in that sequence it was really cool genuinely yeah i had, I had that chase down as a really good for tv of the opposite era yeah um, yeah completely i mm. i think that that shot when it came along I was like that is a quality shot like yeah really because really the, the yeah the, the guy is like in, in close-up running right to left and then yeah chatner in the background up on the roof and i do wonder like because we're seeing this episode sort of in isolation, whether these sorts of foot chases happen like every single week. And everyone's like, oh, here we go again. But if they do, and we're two seasons in, this is a great one. But yeah, I was really pleased with the opening pre-titles to cut, well, actually post-titles, but pre-credits was that we got the Shatner hood jump straight out, you know, in the in the shootout where Nimoy almost gets blasted, goes, the sucker almost happened. Thanks, TJ. <laughs> and, uh, you know, saves his life in the, in the opening shootout. But like, that was referenced in uh, another film we've done for like Spock like, the movies. We did Showtime, where Shatner comes in and shows like uh, is it De Niro and, and Murphy? Of course, how, yeah. How to do his how to do a hood jump? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which yeah. is another riff on TJ Hooker. Uh, amazing. It was so amazing. funny how like Shatner blows someone away, Nimoy blows someone away, and it cuts to Romano tackling and arresting a guy. It's like, yeah, this is what you're meant to be doing. The other two are just like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Well, I did watch a bit of the pilot, and there's a bit about like, "Will you shoot? You shoot to kill." <laughs> um, I was going to say that when uh, Shatner saves Nimoy at the start from getting shot, apparently that is a reference to an old Star Trek episode because he actually says, basically, the reason he saves him is because he said, well, I owed you one because you saved me 17 years ago. And that apparently is a direct reference to an episode of the original series, The Apple, season two, episode five, where Spock does save Shatner. (laughs) Kill your stuff to find a paradise. Jim! Fuck! 
security alert. Is he alive? I filled him with enough massiform D to make the whole crew turn handsprings, and he's not responding. Got to get him back to the ship, Jim. Kirk Enterprise. Scott here, sir. We're beaming up. Notify transporter room. Uh, apparently, that's the deliberate callback to that. The reading of this crazy. episode now, and maybe the whole show, is that it's Kirk who's gone back in time and had his, you know, knocked his head and forgotten who he is and took up a life as a cop. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> now this, this is basically life on Mars with Kirk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, of course, the big revelation for me during the awesome title sequence was one of the regulars is Heather Locklear, mm. which I had no idea she was in this. Apparently, she was introduced as a regular in season two. She's not in season one. And yeah, I, I mean, I always had a big crush on Heather Locklear when I was a kid. And so I seeing her turn up, I was like, this, this is, is her amazing. at like 21 or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah hard to yeah. tell She's with that eighties hair. But yeah, the <laughs> no full blow dry, like, 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 yeah, yeah. It looks absolutely amazing. I did wonder if she was going to be getting the Boston legal supporting cast ladies treatment as well, which she pretty much did, which pretty was to much, have really yeah. basically zero lines and no presence. But I imagine as a regular <laughs> for seasons two to five, there's got to be some episodes focus on her. Yeah, she doesn't get to do much, which is a real shame. But I, uh, yeah, I'd like to think certainly in the opening titles, it shows her doing some doing some stuff. So hopefully in some other episodes, she gets some things to do. But of course, what I was really shocked by after that was the setting is basically at the police academy. Like, because that moment where I actually showed police academy and then went in, I was just like, wait a minute, what am I watching? Like, yeah, it's this like police academy prequel, TJ Hooker, <laughs> uh, especially as Heather Locklear is exactly the kind of person I yeah. expect to see turn up in a police academy movie. So that was a really weird surprise because it's kind of like it is a station, but it's like stationed at the police academy, which yeah. is. I think it's a real weird. place. I think they shot on location at the police academy. And oh, okay. the interiors on the sound stage, but yeah, like <laughs> I was thinking, like ah, they really love this. Boy, when Marge first told me she was going to the police academy, I thought it'd be fun and exciting, you know, like that movie Spaceballs. But instead, it's been painful and disturbing, like that movie Police Academy. Did anybody catch the "I Love Wales" bumper sticker? I, I no. didn't, but I've heard about it since, which is kind of cool. So Maybe Wales on the brain. Uh, maybe a demand from Nimoy, I don't know. But yeah, so this episode, pretty, pretty dark at the end of it because, you know, it starts pretty much with that parking garage rape. Of course, I, I couldn't help but think of Employee of the Month, the um, Sopranos episode where Dr. Melfi is raped. In a now they have long TikTok. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Small parts. <sighs> Christ, <laughs> away. what has what has like, become of the world? Like a quick, quick snap of somebody to just see that out of context. Like what? Christ, <laughs> happy twentieth fifth anniversary to the greatest TV show of all time. <laughs> like, yeah. But um, obviously, that is an absolute masterpiece of an episode. One of the best episodes ever of that show. And, you know, obviously it's a, a very, very different handling of this kind of subject matter and very much through the eyes of the actual survivor themselves. But it did make me think of it instantly. But this this feels really dark and hardcore. Like I say, it reminded me of things like slasher movies and stuff from that time. Yeah, it, it gave me kind of uh, Black Christmas vibes, like the yeah, guy all in yeah. black and his voice. And they did a lot of focus on the voice, like in the lineup and stuff. And what, he's, what he was saying, you know, like, sweet, sweet Val. And then later sweet sweet Anne, which did also make me think of the simpsons with sweet sweet ken um <laughs> <laughs> the leering well, leech they literally do they do a lineup where everyone's wearing balaclavas and he obviously the bad guy here is an actual lawyer himself so he knows things that will help him get out of it and what he does because she's kind of a bit unsure not 100% in terms of who it is, when he's walking off, he whips off the balaclava and, like, laughs. He, like, cackles, like, maniacal laugh at her and then goes off and it kind of, you know, skews things because they're like, oh, well, now you know it was him and you suspected it was him already, so it doesn't quite work. At that moment felt like something, like, uh, properly mad. That felt like something out of Brian De Palma film or something yeah, like, from that yeah. time. You know, so like you'd find a body double or something like that totally. where he was doing it, especially with how crazy he was playing it at that <laughs> moment. That was one of the best bits, I think. You know, I was, I was 
hoping it'd be more of that kind of stuff in the episode. Yeah, it was surprising. I've never mm. seen that done before. I think I'm also just bizarre that they had her not behind a screen, <laughs> just like go up and you know smell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. This is like yeah, still like, that time when there's no like literally no protection whatsoever. It's just like yeah. Can we just check your address while they're standing here? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> either around sixteen or seventeen. Of oh, what's that? You have no security system, right? <laughs> so yeah, basically, she gets completely screwed over, and it just seems like they're not going to be able to get this guy. And what I like is when they go and pick him up for the lineup, it's made clear that he is a predator because before just before they pick him up for the lineup he's doing his work and he's with a female colleague and he does exactly what he did to the victim earlier on where he turns around and kind of asks her out and she seems utterly disgusted and, and really kind of quite freaked out so you know that he is like a massive creepo at that point and you instantly I, I think at that point I was like uh, like you Matt I, I kind of kept thinking there was maybe he's be just a, a massive perv but not a rapist like there's yeah, someone I, else I kept yeah thinking there was gonna be a twist but I actually glad there wasn't because mm. I think that twist which you definitely would have seen coming would have been leaning way too hard into that idea of like which you can see happening at this time oh look there is a difference between this like creepo and an actual rapist like this guy doesn't deserve to go to jail this guy you know what i mean it's just a bit um, for me it would just be Mm. muddying the water they could just roll all up into one horrible guy and be like this is the kind of villain we need for this yeah yeah exactly and uh, after he pulls this trick, it, it becomes clear that they're not going to be able, or it, it would appear that they're not going to be able to kind of make the charge stick to well, this guy. The difference is that, like, every rape case he would ever pro- try to prosecute has failed. He's like, you know how it goes. We never get a conviction. It's like, you just be shit at your job for 17 years. Like, uh... I mean, to be, to be fair to them, you could make this episode now say oh, yeah. that, and it would still be true. It would be, still be true. But, like, uh, I would have thought at least in the TV land. Like, yeah, but no. no, no. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, you know, every episode of Law, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, what? they get a successful prosecution. Well, I think the why, the why this is probably aged better than it could have done is probably because actually they're, they're owning up to the fact that the rape was terrible and remains to this day and uh you know it's a play on that yeah i i really bought into the kind of you know these old friends that are starting to be driven apart by the different approaches to the case i think the, the big scene you know at the racetrack at night time where hooker confronts me while he's running around doing some, doing some laps with the fact that he's part of the evidence and has almost sunk the case this is pretty the crunch point of the show. You're wrong. They wouldn't have filed without that gun, without that kind of evidence, and you know it. What have you got? You got another voice ID. You just said it yourself. Foster's pushing for another writ, and he'll walk away, Hooker. He'll walk away again. Yeah, he might. If you don't turn it around. And if he does, you have yourself to thank for it. This is wrong, Paul. Dead wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of excellent scenes between mm-hmm. them in this like you say the racetrack scene the actual climax scene after the chase towards the end which we'll get to and also the scene that comes after that in the prison cell as well i think they're genuinely really well acted scenes i think shatner is surprisingly restrained here i actually thought by this point i thought oh well, i'll probably watch this and this will be a time or the show where Shatner is starting to get a lot bigger with mm. his performances. And actually, not at all. I, I think he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's really restrained. I, I quite at times quite understated, mm. like, I, you know, the way he's playing it. It was uh, it was really great to see. I think the only times he's a bit broad is in those comic sections. Where he's like, yes. oh, he to be a tough guy. I was a tough policeman. You know, and they're kind of like very much what his persona would become, but like he was really beautifully underplaying it. Yeah. You know, you got this sense of a really good person, a strong moral center, you know, really anchors the show where he's bringing along like the rookies with him and just sort of like explaining this is the way to do this. You know, that kind of is the point of the show, isn't it? Like he's kind of going back to basics. He wants justice delivered in the right way. 
it's kind of amazing because on one hand he's almost like you know you look at it on the surface level and it is that caricature of like an 80s cop in a tv show waving his gun around and you know we've already seen him waving his gun around a lot in uh, boston legal and to see it done here you know with a straight face and then you what you start to watch some of those key scenes that are just between him and nimoy and i think if you're not au fait as to their acting style like a lot of casual people who turn on star trek and kind of mock it a bit you can start to be like oh yeah there's this is nimoy acting and this is shatner acting but then the longer you watch them go at it you realize these are very different slightly different characters from kirk and spock obviously but it's like there is this yeah more, much more quiet intensity especially behind shatner and i was watching some of the t the lines he has where he's giving it these real dramatic pauses and it's like, you do this slightly wrong and it's going to be that cliche of like, you're the hammy actor who likes to add in loads of pauses to make sure you get lots of screen time. But he's doing it and it feels it feels very considered. And I think that comes in that sort of final jail cell scene where he's like giving it these really nice little pauses. But it's, uh, it's all behind his eyes as well. It's quite fantastic because there's a moment where Shatner's stood there and he's got real like watery eyes. Clearly, he's not going to take the scene to a point where he wells up or like breaks down or anything, but it's there. And then, of course, you know, the sort of main standoff when they're both like sweating buckets and things. It's like, again, that could almost be a comical beat of like, let's douse them in sweat. But you're kind of swept up in it and it, and it really works. Generally thought they could have gone a different way. Like as it happens, like Parker talks down Nimoy and, you know, disarms him and, you know, the prisoners then come back. But like, I thought we were seeing something get blown away. Like, mm. I think, you know, a couple of years later, Mario Vines, they'd be like, you know, <laughs> like freeze frame like you know yeah it would have been the more nihilistic ending, nihilistic of, ending. Of, yeah. of vice nice. i agree with you i, I genuinely thought because there's an actual moment where you know basically towards the end nimoy's character kidnaps the rapist and is like gonna get an actually quite a funny moment where because the whole struggle all the way through this episode is that Shatner continues to investigate the case while Nimoy's going off the deep end. Because mm, like it's him, it's him. We know it. Let's yeah, yeah. Because according to Shatner, Nimoy is up to his armpits and emotion. So he says at one point. Um, but that that's that's the conflict between them. Is that the fact is Nimoy's character has already crossed the line because he goes and plants evidence to get the rapist arrested, not realizing that in the meantime TJ has been continuing his investigation and might have actually caught him legitimately but now he's tarnished the investigation with this planted evidence everything may fall apart the, the message of the show seems to be kind of trust in the system it will work out in the end which which we know is not the case but it you know it <laughs> here it would have been of, with this particular case <laughs> yeah it, it creates this morality play between the two characters but towards the end Nimoy has just literally got off the deep end and goes to kidnap the rapist but as he gets in the car he's holding the rapist gunpoint tj runs out because he basically has just got the evidence that they need to put him away and he has this moment where he's like basically screaming at him like in the car but he's just not listening and doesn't like hear him where he's basically saying like we've got the you don't have to do this he like screeches away and it just made me immediately think of, of Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, and Dragons yes. where it's just like we were about to pardon you he's like not listening he just can't hear he's him out the, he's out the window on Jonathan That's yeah it. yeah Woo. yeah exactly and it leads this great high-speed chase but they end up in a proper grapple over a gun and you hear the gun go off while they're grappling yeah, and yeah. i 100% for that nimoy's character would be dead that obviously they'd be grappling for the gun it goes off he dies it's tragic and i actually really liked and it kind of again surprised me like they didn't go for the cheap yeah. twist that that wasn't what happened and in the end he didn't have to blow him away he gives up and you know basically he's probably or potentially going to serve some time or something's going to happen certainly but you know tj seems to believe that due to all his kind of years of service he'll probably get you know a reduced sentence or something like that but they have this really tender scene in the prison cell at the end where basically you know nimoy's character is essentially thanking tj for not letting him cross the line because he doesn't actually Any kill further. the guy yeah yeah well you know <laughs> yeah. uh, he doesn't actually kill the yeah, guy yeah he doesn't go past the beyond the point of return yes like, yeah exactly. a chance a jury may take like uh 
Yeah, yeah look kindly on him. Doesn't he get the whole, you're a loose cannon, spiel from the captain and his badge and that taken yeah. prior to him, you know, kidnapping the guy? Yes. Yeah, the yeah, classic, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I imagine this must happen a lot on the show as well. You're a loose <laughs> cannon! <laughs> just instantly just thinking of McBain. I can't avenge my partner's death with this pea shooter. I don't want to hear it, McBain. That, that cannon of yours is against regulations. In this department, we go by the book. By book. Oh, he well, chucks I... his captain out of the window <laughs> at one point as well. I want to do a quick shout out to the other thing that this... Uh, reminded me of which is something i have mentioned on the show before sledgehammer the 1987 yes, comedy series which i thought i thought of again because i was like surely teacher hooker is the exact kind of show they were lampooning in that which is much more of a satirical comedy take on this but it's again it's so funny i've only seen the first episode i must do more because they're on youtube there's this amazing uh exchange i got here after this i think it's like an opening scene in that and he's being interviewed by a reporter and it's like we're here at the scene of a liquor store robbery that was thwarted by the man beside me inspector sledgehammer inspector hammer tell us what happened well miss i was in this store when two thugs entered and threatened the owner with shotguns at that time i drew my magnum and killed them both then i bought some eggs and some milk and some of those little cocktail weenies inspector hammer was what you did in that store absolutely necessary oh yes i had no groceries at all <laughs> <laughs> well, sledgehammer amazing. was played by david rash yeah. and actually now I really want to go back and watch that because he is a regular in succession playing Carl, who's a kind of like a high up person in the corporation that it focuses on. And he is absolutely hilarious yeah. in succession. Like his voice alone mm. is funny. Like his delivery of lines is just sublime. Yeah. And it's really made me want to go back and find it because he's so funny in succession yeah it's real it's real like you know live action simpsons vibes yeah no definitely gotta go back and find some of that 100 percent. but yeah another thing that really struck me about this is the title vengeance is mine because that really comes across in the scene one of the few scenes that actually kind of considers things from the survivor's point of view in this episode where it is a scene between uh, nimoy's character and his daughter where essentially they're kind of you know talking about the situation. Obviously, he's going off the edge, and she's trying to kind of keep him back. And she's clearly not sure what the kind of right thing is anymore. And he's just not really listening to her. He's very much on his own vengeance quest, and he wants to get the rapist, not because that's what his daughter wants, but because he needs to do it because he's so mixed up. Which actually, I was like, well, it really reflects that... the title really well because it's his vengeance, not hers. Well, he's so doing it because he says the only way you'll be free is when they're convicted. Like, there's literally no other way you can possibly move on from this. Yeah, until they're behind bars, and she doesn't agree. She's not. No. She doesn't. She doesn't actually think he. She's like, oh, I'm not so sure about that, Dad. He's like, shut, because <laughs> yeah. he's just so in his own feelings mm. about yeah. it, right there. So that's really interesting as well. You know, just to kind of say, like, generally quite impressed by this episode. I think it's got some really strong scenes. I think all the big scenes between Shatner and Nimoy are really really well acted and i think they kind of they get to play quite a lot of different shades because the scene mm. at the racetrack is kind of you know this more yeah moral quandary debate like the scene later after the chase is like proper high intensity two people screaming at each other someone's gonna get killed scene and then the scene in the cell is is very tender quite loving very versatile, the amount of like material they get to work with. So. Yeah, yeah, and Nimoy is fantastic as well. Yeah, like, I, and I think so. probably brings Shatner up, having his old sparring partner, Nimoy, back with it in this yeah. episode yeah, as well. Definitely. I did, like, go ahead, I say, to try and start the pilot, like, just because I wanted to know if there was a like, the like vice, and I feel like the, the backstory, like, the game <laughs> partner, you know, would be set up in the pre titles. But was no, it Jimmy it was... Smith's again? <laughs> no, it would be, it could have been, like, but it was. It was very much like Hooker is kind of like a bad guy, kind of driller structure in his Academy. Uh, Harris, that's basically just how like Shatner comes out the gate, just like sort of scowling and kind of like berating new recruits to the police academy. It takes forever to get going, and I just gave up. But it was just so poor by comparison to what I saw in Vengeance to Mine. I feel like we may have just kind of stumbled on some absolute gold and yeah. the TJ Hooker Hills are just kind that, of... That's interesting. Do we think that 
it's a case of this particular episode is a cut above like the rest. This is actually yeah. genuinely one of the best episodes. So season two, so it's going to be in a bit more yeah. of a stride, but not yeah. like season five quality's gone off a cliff, Boston Legal style. Um, yeah, or did it, that's what I'm saying, did it just get better? Because obviously I was saying Locklear was introduced at mm-hmm. the beginning of season two, so they're obviously trying to spice things up a little bit. So maybe season two is an improvement. Maybe the first season is a bit of a TNG first season. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it does rely on this pre-established background and history between these two characters of of Hooker and and Leonard Nimoy here, which obviously isn't featured anywhere else. It's, you know, invented for this. But that gives it so much kind of weight. And I wonder if without some of that weight, a lot more of the episodes will feel a little more lightweight and, you know, fast food and takeaway and sort of stuff. Um, but we're immediately invested because of the cultural weight of these two guys from the Star Trek past. But also, I think this story is is very well written. So I don't know. I reckon it could be up there. Well, I'll put in like, uh, just look at the best of worst as you have to actually. Mm. There's the worst. The pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just saw that the first season is only five episodes. Yeah. So whereas all the other seasons oh. are like the proper twenty-two episode kind of like runs. This so, is technically only like episode twenty-one. Yeah, so it, it may be a case of that first season just didn't go very well and they kind of reconfigured what they were doing. And actually having a look now through the episodes, I can tell you that the episode with Nimoy is possibly uh or certainly yeah it's it's not the top rated episode ever but it is one of the highest rated episodes of the show on imdb so the general feeling tends to be that kind of like i don't think there's any episode rated higher than this i think it's just kind of there's a couple episodes this same rating so it is meant to be one of the best i think some of the other ones that rate higher probably when main characters of the show are kind of involved in like serious plots you know, major things happen to the characters in the show. And they'll obviously rank high, but like as a kind of casual observer who was coming to get a taste of hooker, I think this is a really good probably entree. It's fascinating seeing like the just looking at sort of the syndication and where it went out as well, like the sort of rerun history of this thing. You know, it played between eighty five and eighty eight in Japan on Nippon TV in Australia. They've been playing the reruns between twenty twelve and twenty sixteen. But in New Zealand it's being screened for the first time as of twenty thirteen. So you know, the lifespan that these things have and where it goes out. And uh, as of 2019, it's being rerun in the UK and Ireland on the Sony channel. So, well, I think uh, the re- reboot's it. got to be coming. Do you think a little alarm went off somewhere when, uh, you know, Amazon Prime pinged that three people bought this one episode around about the same time? Like, <laughs> the time is now, guys. Strike, it's time for a remake. <laughs> well, it's crazy that has come around this, like, because it is weird to have, a, like, a, a successful 80s show that hasn't been mined for, like, you know, big screen apps. Or reboots. Well, you could imagine with Shatner turning up as like TJ, old TJ, you know, and it's like TJ Hooker's like, you know, nephew mm-hmm. is now joining Police Academy. And, <laughs> you know, it's just there's money to be made. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting concept with the Police Academy kind of setting. There's definitely stuff to be made of it. And are it's actually unpopular now. Well, yeah, unpopular. but cop shows aren't. Cop shows are. Cop shows like even. I mean, if we're talking reflective of this, which is a classic network TV show, like if you actually look at like proper Nielsen ratings, like old school network TV, where it's like you know we're not talking about streaming or anything like that. They literally released the Nielsen ratings like ranking uh, recently, and like the third most watched like narrative show in the usa is still like ncis or whatever like, that. like you know in terms of on network tv like now and it still gets huge amounts of ratings in comparison to so many things that Does we that all watch count as a cop show yeah ncis yeah but are they just like naval investigators uh i don't know ncis let me remind myself <laughs> I don't think, I NCIS I, yeah is there a show is. where the lead is like the rogue cop who gets his they are american military police so they are police. officially yeah. police yes. well they can people get a bit more behind the military like, <laughs> yeah, like you know the police you know but no but there's that. still loads of fucking cop shows like, bosch? I think, like bosch you know, a cop? yeah bosch is a cop show <laughs> like, nypd blue was like massive wasn't it actually? yeah there's loads of cop shows that are still huge i mean it, well funny enough of course 
one of the most popular, certainly the most popular cop show in the UK in the last decade, funnily enough, was Line of Duty, which of course is about (laughs) cops investigating cops. It's about investigating corrupt cops. So it kind of actually, maybe that's a reflection of the times. The most popular TV cop show in Britain is about investigating crooked cops. For me, my thing with cop shows... A lot of people are quite anti-cop show or cop films now because of that factor, because obviously we have had the kind of rose-tinted glasses removed when it comes to us, and frankly, they are not the saintly knights that they were once portrayed to be. Not saving and... the day, rolling over car bonnets and shooting the baddies, yeah. Well, they yeah. got this, I just looked at the last quote, says, like, probably 2020, of the 69 scripted television dramas that aired on the four big networks, 35 were about law enforcement, and about 70% of the network's traumatic program was about cops. There this you does go. not include Brooklyn Nine-Nine and reality shows like Cops. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like, yeah, all the law and order shows are still really, really popular. But what I was going to say is that, you know, people do accuse, I mean, that's something that Brooklyn Nine-Nine had still with, where it was like this fun, kind of cuddly comedy about cops, even though it did confront a lot of uh, important issues you know, it's something they had to confront head on in their final season about the way cops are now thought of in uh, America and in the UK. And it's that thing of often these things will be accused of being copaganda because obviously, you know, essentially getting you to empathize with and sympathize with cop characters. Paw Patrol. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I. I've got to say, uh, and you know, obviously, I I think these things have to be dealt with on a case by case basis in some ways. But I never thought of it that way because you know, uh, Paul, you know very well because we've had discussions about this in the past. How I feel about the police, and I have never had this issue with police dramas or films because I just view cops and robbers as the modern cowboys and Indians in terms of like, which again, obviously Cowboys and Indians isn't kind of going to be a fly in a a modern landscape. Um, So literally I just view it as that. I view it as mythic. Like, you know, you watch something like Heat, like I'm not going like, oh, I'm on the side of Al Pacino kind of, you know, after the, the bad guys. It's, it's about a mythic kind of black hat, white hat story where there's more layers to it than that. That's what I see it as. I don't see it as like, a real thing. I think if you're doing like, you know, an ultra realistic drama, that's a kind of different thing. But really in a lot of ways, a lot of just narrative stories, I'm like, it's just a device. Yeah, it's a device. But like, like, yeah, that's end what it of is. watch. Like it's just a setup that has a semi sort of fills the ground in reality, but plays on what people know. These are archetypes that people can understand and they don't need to kind of you've seen enough of it, don't you? You can kind of have all the shortcuts. You don't need to explain who a private investigator is or like a naval investigator is like, you know, a cop is a cop. That what they've had to do is cast a bag. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like we've got some great, great shows and narratives which show the reality, something like The Wire or something like that, like kind of thing, you know. Or, or and that Shield again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a range of things. It's just like you say, it's an archetype, it's a narrative device. Funnily enough, I kind of think looking over that and seeing that this is one of the most popular episodes has made me go, oh, perhaps I won't dip into more TJ because of the fact that I was like, if it was all this quality, I think I'd be quite tempted to watch more because I genuinely was quite impressed by it. The the only issue I really had with this episode was obviously, I think anything that deals with this kind of subject matter is always going to have dated even though i actually think this handles it reasonably well for the time certainly far better than some movies and tv of the time um i think it always will have dated a little bit but also the weird comedy subplot in it about the <laughs> whole bank thing with his partner try reckon the bank i mean that you couldn't get something more tonally jarring like, i think it's fact- literally a case of like they want this episode to be the main story, but because I guess of contracts and the way, you know, long season shows like this worked back then, it's like, we still we still need to use our regular cast. And they're like, oh, fuck it. I don't know. Bank loan. <laughs> yeah, but it's so weird because you it get that kind of crazy like weird. super intense 
scene after the massive car chase uh, through a back lot with Nimoy and Shatner. And then you get that really kind of beautiful scene between the cell. And then you just get this bizarro comedy scene where Shatner's been gifted a teddy bear by the bank for opening an account. And he ends up chucking it at his partner in a comedy freeze frame. It's like something out of the Naked Garden. I think I was wondering if you watched an episode of Teaching the Last Season, if they still do that. Because I think did the advent of like, well, those episodes of Police Squad just kind of kill that kind of thing in these kind of shows? Yes. Just like if be, yeah. if, you know, you could never take a Western seriously again, you know, kind of thing off those handles for a while. Like it's, they did all the tropes, but I think because Police Squad perhaps was like a bit of a, people slept on it, didn't they, when it came out? It oh, yeah, it was, it was a cult thing. Of course, yeah. Shatner's in it. Yeah, yeah. So I just think perhaps it didn't actually make, make much of a difference. I wanted a talking clock. <laughs> this is a teddy bear. I am a fearsome police officer. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Matt, will you be watching more TJ? If the only place we could watch it was not just buying whole episodes on Amazon, then <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but shell out £2.49 every time. <laughs> oh, what a, a pop. My God. No, if it popped up like tomorrow on Netflix or something, uh, I probably would dive back in. I'd have I'd have a look at some high rated ones though and try and keep it pure over fear of like getting really invested and having to watch every single one. Because <laughs> it could easily be something that you, you get quite comforted by as well. The, this kind of era of TV. Uh, of just letting it wash over you, and I ain't got time for that. So, um, no, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm definitely open to it. Way more than Boston Legal. Although we did, I guess to be fair, we did two of them, and that was kind of enough. Maybe two of these would also be enough. <laughs> we'll see. Paul, yeah. what do you I, reckon? I, well, I presumably know. not, as you tried to watch the pilot. Well, I could watch the pilot, but like, given that like, it's just been confirmed that it is dreadful, I think perhaps <laughs> I would be interested to go back in. If it was free, yeah, I don't want to pay anything for this uh, again. I would, if it was free, I would watch episodes which include James Darren, like because he became a Caesar regular. He went on to be uh, Vic Fontaine in Deep Space Nine, uh, who's the kind of holographic club singer, and he's a brilliant addition to DS Nine. And I, I would love to see him in his earlier guise as a, a regular on the show. And also, I believe there's episodes with the guy who plays Gold to Cut, uh, one of my also one of my favorite DS Nine. I love him. So I just would be interested to see these, uh, yeah, Star Trek Star Wars, you know, being another show with a with another Star Trek actor, see the kind of like worlds cross over. So I, I, there's an interest there for me from a Star Trek perspective, but that would be it. Because I, I do feel like I've just got the measure of this show and I, I just don't think there's much in there for me. That's fair, that's fair. Um, I was about to say on the Star Trek connection front, the episode, as I say, was written by Alison Hart and she did write an episode of Star Trek Next Generation as well. Uh, an episode from season six, Rascals. Do you oh, remember? Oh, I like that one. Yes. Okay, they, there you go. Well cast, where they have like younger versions of like the card Guinan. They're kind of made into children, and then the ship's taken over, and so the young uh, versions of themselves have to like pretend they're children, but get about the ship and kind of take it take it back over. But yeah, I just thought I ought to mention that as uh, she did write an episode of uh, TNG. Yes. She also wrote an episode of Miami Vice. In season one, Milk oh. Run oh, uh, from season one, which I don't particularly remember that episode, but like it's season one, so it's probably pretty that's, good. That's yeah. a fucking great episode. That's where they're kind of like two quite well off, like college kids run drugs and pocket and that, like getting caught in the act. And uh, you know, basically saying, you, you know, if you want to avoid jail time, you've got to kind of like stall for us. Great use of the Crockett's theme in that episode. Oh, amazing. Well. Yeah. All when, in like, for Crockett's fame. I think that I think where Crockett basically just describes what prison would be like for a good looking lad like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was also going to recommend a mm-hmm. companion piece TV episode for this episode from the 80s, which it instantly made me think of straight away. Season one of Crime Story, the Michael Mann TV show, Justice Hits the Skids. Uh, which is early on in season one, it is the one where eight pounds for the defense, Stephen Lang, yeah. his girlfriend, played by Pam Greer, is raped. And basically, at the end, they, you know, and it's all about, you know, him trying to get justice. And it has a far, a really, you know, dark ending where basically Abraham's finds himself having to defend one of the guys who raped Pam Greer 
And he has a fantasy, which at the time would have been like, you know, was really groundbreaking for TV, where you you generally wouldn't, this is years before things like Six Feet Under, where kind of these fantasy sequences were regular, where suddenly when he realises it's one of the guys who raped his girlfriend, he just pulls out a gun and fucking blows him away. And then (laughs) it cuts back to him in there with him and the guy's like oh you know what are you gonna do are you gonna defend me or what and he's like oh of course i am and he like recomposes himself he's like i'm abraham's for the defense and he's gonna have to defend the guy who raped his girlfriend it's really really dark ending and it is one of the episodes that it has a story by michael mann credit uh even though he didn't write the actual script but that is a great episode of tv i remember it yeah Come yeah back to you now yeah, very good. I mean, all of season one of Crime Stories is very worth watching. Oh, that is man, oh, man. Episode. One thing I must recommend uh, while I'm here, if you do, after watching this, want to do all of TJ Hooker, then the place to go is the Hooked on TJ Hooker podcast, which I discovered today, which is doing episode by episode through TJ Hooker. So they've done an episode on Vengeance is Mine, but at the moment, they're, they're still going because I saw they dropped an episode last month and they're towards the end of season four, I think. Uh, so you can catch up with them now. I listened to their episode, to, or a lot of their episode on this today. So there you go. If you're a big TJ Hooker fan and you really want to dive into Hookland, that's where you need to go. <laughs> but yeah, really, really good episode. I think what's kind of nice about this, and I think... What's fun about shows of this type is you can just dip in for one episode and you can get everything you need to know. Yeah. I mean, I miss TV that's, that's built this way because it doesn't yeah. really exist anymore. And we like... kind of, we, we, this comes up a lot with us, doesn't it? But we've said, you know, maybe Strange New Worlds and the Trek front is the closest that they're getting to kind of more mm. standalone stuff. But yeah, I mean, in this purest form, totally doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it's rare that you even get 20 plus episode seasons anymore because it's not really built that way unless it is just i guess your ncis pure network stuff still yeah and obviously you know there's massive disadvantages to this kind of storytelling as well but i think it is i mean it's just nice for us in terms of a podcast sense that we could literally watch this and not one point did i go what's going on who are these people? Yeah. Like, it's Who wants very... character growth when you can have TJ Hooker <laughs> leaping over cars for five years? Yeah, it's just literally like you, within two seconds, you're like, that's the main character. He's a cop. That's his partner. <laughs> we all know. Oh, he works for the police academy. Right, fine. Let's go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, good, good fun. Uh, really, really glad to, because this is definitely one of the earliest episodes we thought about when we started doing on screen because of the fact that it's, you know, one of Shatner's other big shows, but there's a big star track to coming into it. It feels like a huge, huge event. Uh, So we will be back with another episode of on screen and also lots of other episodes on other aspects of the star trek universe soon got lots of things in the pipeline this year that we're building up we will be getting back to the aforementioned strange new worlds at some point and reviewing season two hopefully before season three debuts (laughs) that wouldn't Um, be like us at all so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we're at least fully caught up on Discovery because they've had to take so long <laughs> getting that final season together. Uh, but I think that is coming in maybe March or something like that, or at least they're debuting the premiere episode at a convention in March. Yeah, or it might, so it it might suddenly be upon us because, as you remember, Doug Jones in his cameo to you yes. for your birthday, he yeah. said January. He was mistaken <laughs> yes he was <laughs> lying uh, <laughs> but uh yeah but i heard i actually saw an interview with him recently where he said the epilogue that they've shot is very emotional so you know very intrigued to see the how they going out of work that- <laughs> Back to the unemployment line. <laughs> yeah. It was very emotional when I had my last check. It was very emotional when I was handed my P45. <laughs> but yes, well, I do look forward to that. And you can find us at Spotlight Pod, at Instagram, X, and Facebook. 
X's Twitter, by the way, uh, if you've tried to blank out the fact that it's now called something different from your mind. But it is still the only game in town. We're not on Blue Sky or whatever the fuck it's called or one of the other Red. Twitter pretenders until Musk nukes it off the face of the earth, which I'm sure will happen at some point. We will be there. Paul won't be there, but Spotlight will be there <laughs> and guys is there anything you want to shout out well matt i kind of feel like you should shout out because i think we've probably mentioned this maybe on previous episodes but this is the first episode we recorded since it is out yes on your other podcast are what i like to call our sister podcast is paul dana okay currently in a season about rachel vice yep. Vice city now Interrupting that season is a very special episode starring who? Mr. Clancy Brown. We got him. We got him. It came out January 5th, which was uh, the big man's birthday. And yeah, we finally managed to sit down with Clancy Brown and have a an amazing hour with him. He was just the absolute legend. He was so forthcoming of everything. Daryl and I, my co-host over there, we did actually watch his uh, Star Trek Enterprise episode the night and before. And then failed to ask him And then completely it. failed to talk about because he's got <laughs> so much safe. stuff. And uh, we missed our window. But a very good episode of Enterprise and the first one of Enterprise I've watched in about four years. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, hopefully we can now spur this on to get some of our other season-focused uh, in, in an interview form. We're looking at you, Judy Greer, and... Pordano, obviously. But yeah, that's still out. And um, check us out over there at Is Pordano Okay? And you can still, until February, about mid-Feb time, vote in our poll for who we cover next season, which is either Mr. Jimon Honsu, Tony Shaloub, Keith David, Jeffrey Wright, Hiroyoku Sonada, and James Hong. So one of those six will be our next focus. So hop on over to our little link there to enact democracy and uh, cast your vote yeah get on it people i have already voted i actually voted for james hong which Fantastic. i now regret sorry oh. mr. Hong, because <laughs> jeffrey wright who also obviously i love but he is having a bit of a moment right now he because is. he is the star of american fiction which well i will reveal like right really now that... fun film yeah oh. I'll, I'll reveal right now that at, at time of recording it's becoming a bit of a two-horse race between jeffrey wright and james hong Oh, so you could sway it if you chuck in for those guys, but uh, some of the others aren't that far behind. So it's very interesting. Paul, still did you did you vote in this? No, I still got a, a vote to have. Okay, well maybe you can swing it for right or Hong <laughs> or someone else. Well, it sounds like anyone else might be a wasted vote at this point. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like voting for the Lib Dems. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't say never... that's a wasted vote. <laughs> <laughs> They're never gonna get in. But yeah, no, Jeffrey Wright, I think would be really, really good right now. He was kind of on our general list of people to do ages ago, and it's funny because if we had done it way back then, it would have been before. Asteroid City came out mm. for American fiction. Obviously, we have covered the Batman on our main Pordeno thread, of, of course. course. But you're right. Yeah. Like, yeah, the amount of stuff he's got, he's in right now. He's having a moment. And I've still got to see American fiction. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I should mention that, of course, the other day I watched a film which crossed the streams Ooh. of your two of your focuses, uh, Dumb Money. Craig yes. Gillespie's new film, yes. starring Paul Dano, but where Clancy Brown plays his dad. Yeah. Which I think you ask him about this film in your interview. We, we do. We do. We, we had to get in on the Dana question, so he yeah. does speak about working with him. Uh, his second time, after briefly being in Cowboys and Aliens together, don't think they had any scenes there, but he yeah, he does touch on that. And it's funny, because when I saw Dumb Money, I knew Clancy Brown was in it, but I didn't know who was playing going in. So when he turns up as Dano's dad, I was like, this is this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> good film, fun. by the way. Dumb Money. Yeah, I recommend, recommend that. Uh, true story of the GameStop crisis on Wall Street. Somebody needs to do that for John Menzies, yeah. <laughs> well, our price like, well, yeah. essentially lots of independent small time traders were essentially making the GameStop share prices go up by buying loads of stock fucking up the Wall Street plans you know they're probably about a four minute exposition scene where they explain how they do what they do and I'll still have no idea <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it that's, that, that's that what Clancy exactly says it. as well in the interview he says like I still got no idea what any of this means well, well it's just... funny you do I, I think you do get a good grip on it I think you get a better grip funny enough 
despite Margot Robbie in a bath, you get a better grip on what's happening here than you did in the big show. Yeah. I'll say that. You you know enough to kind of know what any moment to moment means, but if you're asked to explain it beyond that, maybe it's like, I still don't know why this means this, (laughs) but you get enough to follow the story. Yeah. You know what matters. And in the end, I will say that I actually found it quite an emotional watch. Like there is a big speech delivered by Paul Dano, who's playing a real person, obviously. And this is, I think this is verbatim a real thing that this guy said, because it is actually from like a court transcript or a hearing transcript. And you do actually see a clip of the real guy saying some of it at the mm. end. It is very well performed. And, you know, the eloquence of what he says at the end of that, I actually end up finding quite quite moving so uh, and i kind of think it's a film about our times as well because it's super fast turnaround it's like depicting mm-hmm. events in 2021 and it only yeah. came out last year um so it really is super fast great cast so yeah re- done money recommended and talking about that of course you can all find us on letterboxd that's mm-hmm. the social media where we're all at mm-hmm. where you can find us so come along and uh find us on there i'm the demps on letterboxd what are you matt I'm Matt underscore bro. And Paul, do you remember what you are? Paul underscore Wilmo. There you go. There you go. So that is that is the place to find us all, basically. I mean, probably if you find one of us, you can probably find all of us at the end. Of, and on my page, I now have a pinned list, which I discovered you could do through Matt, of every single film we have covered as part of Spotlight of the Movie so far. And on that list, it has notes uh, saying the Star Trek connection for each film and the guest star for that episode. Uh, So go and have a look on that and see if there's any episodes you want to track down and have a listen to. So, yeah, that's the recommendation for Val. But until next time, in the words of Spock himself, from Vengeance is Mine or not from Vengeance is Mine... Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>